Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, I do want to say thank you to Pastor Chris for the opportunity to preach here this morning at Eagle Drive Baptist Church. Thank you for the warm welcome this morning. I was walking in and so many people greeted us and made us feel welcome. And this is a Kodak moment for me. My first time ever in Decatur. And so um, I need to take a selfie with you, I guess, before I leave just to put this in our books here. Uh, But also thank you for being in your place. Um, If this is your first time here at Eagle Drive Baptist Church, I pray that you would come back. I know Pastor Thorne and his family would love to meet and greet you personally. And so I hope that you'll take the time to be back again. I've known Pastor Chris since 2002. And uh, yes, <gasps> that's before some of you discover the world. Um, not too long ago uh, to many of us, uh, but that's actually longer than I've known my wife. And so uh, we've taken college classes together. We've stayed up late nights studying. We've served in ministry together. We've played on the same college basketball team. We've been in trouble together. Um, Chris was in my wedding back in 2007. Um, I had the opportunity to fly up uh, and be with Chris and Amanda when they got married in Colorado. And uh, just a few years after that, I remember driving up from Tennessee to Indiana when their son Logan passed away. And so I've known Pastor Chris for a very long time. Yes, we've talked ministry. We've enjoyed ministry together. We've enjoyed playing golf together. Um, But probably the one thing that I appreciate most about Pastor Chris is his friendship. I don't know what it's like being a pastor. uh, But I do thank God for the pastors that have been in my life. Um, really from the day that I got saved up to this point. And uh, if I can encourage or challenge the church family here at Eagle Drive, pray for your pastor. Uh, Speak a kind word. Take the time to write an encouraging note. Uh, Show kindness to his family. And then I know this would encourage him greatly. Jump in and serve the Lord together in the ministry that God has called you guys to. And so I hope that you'll keep that in mind. Philippians chapter 2, I hope you're there. We're going to read... The first eight verses of chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And um, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Bible says in verse number eight, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you're in the habit of marking things or underlying things in your Bible, I want us to take note of one word in verse number four. Would you look back there, verse number four? It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of, what's the word? 
others. Say it together with me again. Ready? Others. That will be our title, our theme, and our topic for this morning's message. I wanted to give you just a little information about our family. Um, here's a picture of us. We've been in Texas for three years now. And uh, this is my wife, Rachel. And then our son, he's the oldest, is Jonathan. And then Esther and Joy. Rachel and I have been married for 12 years, and we've had the opportunity to serve in ministry, and really youth ministry, ever since we've been married. As a matter of fact, um, I remember when um, um, Michael, your sister, Elizabeth, was in our youth department years and years ago. I think the Eatons are here this morning. I can't believe they traveled so far just to hear me preach. I feel honored. And uh, these are Michael's parents here, and we love and appreciate them. And I didn't, I didn't expect to see them this morning. So we've been involved in youth ministry for a very long time. Uh, we now have the opportunity, as Brother Michael was saying here, uh, the privilege to serve as the youth pastor and youth director at Worth Baptist Church, pastored by Tyler Gillett, uh, down in a small town called Fort Worth. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. And so we have the opportunity to serve there. You may ask, some, some may ask, why did you leave beautiful East Tennessee for brown, hot, traffic Texas? And um, the only way I can explain that, because humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. Um, but we believe we're in God's will, and we've been here for three years serving now. And plus, we want to be part of the great country of Texas, right? Um, in October, um, it's a very special month in our household. Uh, we celebrated Rachel's birthday on October the 22nd. Rachel officially, again, became two years older than me. And of course, as a, a loving husband, I have to remind her of that. Every year on her birthday, I think that morning I woke up and pretty early looking forward to her birthday just to kiss her on the forehead and just say happy birthday. You are officially two years older than me again. <laughs> After I got the nudge and the kick off the bed, I think I realized that wasn't the right thing to say. Um, but also, um, not only do we celebrate Rachel's birthday, but we celebrate our youngest, Joy. And this year, October the 30th, just a couple days ago. It was a very special birthday because she turned five years old. Now, this was a big birthday for her, not because she was just turning five, but because this would be the first time ever in her life that she would chew bubble gum. You're like, what kind of rule did you come up with? I'm not sure. I think it's just because of bad parenting. Um, we're still trying to figure all these things out about how to raise kids, but I remember when Jonathan was born, and he maybe was two or three years old, and um, I think I had probably one slice of chewing gum or one piece of bubble gum left, and he asked for it, and um, as a selfish dad, I said, no. <laughs> um, I said, actually, Jonathan, you cannot have bubble gum or chewing gum until you turn five. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure where I heard that from. I kind of just stuck to my guns, and so we made him wait till he was five years old. And so on his birthday... Instead of buying him a bike or uh, a set of power tools or a brand new car, I bought him some bubble gum. And he, to this day, thinks I'm the greatest dad in the world. <laughs> well, when Esther was born, I told my wife, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the same plan. It wouldn't be fair to treat one child better than the other. Now, Esther is my favorite. I shouldn't say that, but she is. And so we made her wait till she was five. And so poor Joy, being the youngest... Um, every time they have a special treat, usually Jonathan and Esther's asking for a piece of chewing gum or a piece of bubble gum. And Joy would say, Dad, can I have two mints? And uh, it's been a miserable four years of existence for her. 
So just a few days ago, um, just like an awesome dad, I went to Walmart, the dollar store, and I bought all the bubble gum and chewing gum you could buy for $10. That's a lot. She didn't want anything else. That's what she wanted. And so that morning, after she woke up, she was looking forward to it. She didn't care about a birthday cake. She didn't care about a new bike. She wanted to try bubble gum or chewing gum. And I actually recorded the video, and I think we're going to show it with you here. So can we share it? It is our big joy's fifth birthday, and this is the first time ever that she's going to be able to chew bubble gum. I think it's bubblelicious. It's a watermelon strawberry. Chew, 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 chew. What do you think, Joy? (laughs) It's good. First time ever in her existence that she has chewed bubble gum or chewing gum. And check out all the bubble gum chewing gum she's got. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for weeks leading up to Rachel's birthday, I would remind the kids. Hey, don't forget, mom's birthday is coming up. What are we going to get her? How are we going to surprise her? What kind of card or picture are you going to draw? And without fail, anytime I would bring up mom's birthday, Rachel's birthday, Joy would say, don't forget my birthday. I would say, well, don't, well mom's birthday is coming up first. It's October 22nd. Joy, yours is after us. And without fail, she would say, don't forget my birthday. You know what? This morning, she's a great example of all of us this evening. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA to be selfish, to think of me, myself, and I, instead of thinking of others. One writer said it this way. The biggest problem that we all face is us. The biggest problem that I deal with is me. I want to be selfish. I want to be the center of the universe. The issue this morning is not that we are living with sinners or that we are working with sinners or that we are going to school with sinners. The issue is this. The issue is that I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Sin makes makes it all about me. Most of the problems that we deal with, whether it's at homes uh, or in our marriages or even at work or sometimes even at church. You know what the problem is? It's not communication. Oh, that sometimes is an issue. It's not about conflict that arises. Yes, and that sometimes is the issue. But usually the problem is that it's me. I'm selfish and I'm not thinking of others. And so we're going to jump into the book of Philippians uh, this morning and look at chapter 2. But before you kind of have a full understanding of the book of Philippians, you actually have to have kind of the background. So if you hold your place here and go back with me a few pages to the book of Acts, and we'll look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, uh, you have what we have here as the beginning of the church of Philippi. And so as you study the book of Philippians, you know that the human penman, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, is um, writing a letter to them. Now, most theologians Um, commentaries believe that this is Paul's joy letter. And so as he's writing this letter, he was really writing to thank the church at Philippi for their gift that they had sent them. And so as you look here at back at Acts chapter 16, we were given kind of some insights 
on the specific converts or church members in the church of Philippi. So let's look here at Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at three characters real quick as we consider just this church at Philippi. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So let me get your attention here this evening, this morning. The first character that we have is a lady by the name of Lydia. And she was a seller of purple. She was one who had great possessions. Now, if you'll jump down just a few verses after that, verse number 16, here's the second character or church member that we're given. Verse 16 says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of, uh, out of her the same hour. So we have, first of all, Lydia, the seller of purple, one who had great possessions. The second one, the character that we have here, is a demon-filled young lady. And the Bible says that she was changed and she was saved. Then look at, uh, down in chapter 16 towards the very end. And this story is very well known. It's the story of the Philippian jailer. Look at Acts chapter 16 and look down at verse number um, 30. Uh, and brought them out and said, sirs, here's what the Philippian jailer said. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thine house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and, his, and, and, and he and all his straightway. We'll stop reading there. So we have three characters here. Number one, we have Lydia, seller of purple, one who had great possessions. Uh, the second character we have was a demon-possessed girl. And the third character, the third person in this church, was a big bully. He was the Philippian jailer. So really three kind of unique characters all in this church here. We have someone that was a business person. We had someone that had lots of problems in their past. And we had someone that kind of put people um, in prison. What a great example of a church where though there be lots of different personalities and different backgrounds and different upbringings and different pasts, they were all transformed by the power of the gospel. They had something in common. Jesus Christ had made a difference in their lives. I don't know many of you here personally at all, but if you look around, I would say there's a lot of different personalities, a lot of different backgrounds. Some of you are from Texas. Some of you are not from Texas. I was looking at our church even this past week. I was uh, scanning kind of the audience, and it was kind of unique. We have people in our church at Worth Baptist Church from Germany, from China, from Burma, from, uh, from, uh, from Brazil. We have, uh, we have foreigners from Oklahoma. We have, we have a bunch of we have some, we have some Cajun folks from Louisiana. We have some rednecks from North Carolina. And if you look around our church, there's a lot of different people. But you know what most of us all have in common? We've been transformed by the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ has made a difference in our lives. I'm not sure who I'm talking to this morning, but just a brief testimony of myself. I didn't grow up in church like this. Thank God for a beautiful church building and 
uh, the people that are keeping up with it. You guys have a, a great church here. It looks great. I appreciate the warm welcome that I received. But I remember going to a church once just like this and for the very first time hearing the gospel that I was a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserved to go to hell. But I knew that Jesus Christ had died for me because the word of God says so. And he died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And as a 14-year-old teenager, not really growing up in church, God used the gospel and the people who knew the gospel to change my life. And as a 14-year-old teenager, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And that's kind of why I'm standing before you today. If you do not know that heaven's your home, I hope that you'll make today the day of salvation for it. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can get that settled. But as we look here in the church of uh, Philippi and the kind of the background in Acts chapter 16, Paul, as he was writing his joy letter, he was actually facing some problems. One of the problems he was facing was detainment. He was in prison. Now, it doesn't really make sense, except God had made a difference in his life. The second problem that he was facing was death. He was on trial for death. And the third problem that he was facing, as he's writing the book of Philippians here, was he was facing division among the people at that church. They were not getting along. Now, that, that happens to all of us. How many of you have, there's been a time in your life when you did not get along with someone else? Would you raise your hands and your feet? Yes. That's right? Yes. That's what, that's what was happening here in the book of Philippians. The people that were not getting along. And so he's writing this letter to try to help them. And so we won't take time to go all the way back. But if you'll look at Philippians chapter 1, you have here the philosophy that Paul gives for Christian living. He said, let me give you the philosophy to live the Christian life. Would you like to know what it is? We look back there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Paul writes this to the church here. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, very well-known verse. Paul gives the philosophy here for Christian living. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's what Paul was saying as we consider the philosophy for Christian living. He's saying Jesus Christ should be first in your life. Jesus Christ should be first in your homes. Jesus Christ should be first in your marriage. Jesus Christ should be first in your workplace. Jesus Christ should be first at your school. Jesus Christ should be first at your church. He's saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now we come to Philippians chapter 2. So if you'll hold your place and go to Philippians chapter 2 now. So we not only find the philosophy for Christian living, but now Paul gives us the pattern for Christian living. There's really a clear, instru- there's really a clear instruction that's given to us here in uh, Philippians chapter 2. And the idea about the pattern for Christian living is this. There's an emphasis about having one mind. Look back there. Mark, uh, mark the word mind as we read here. Verse number three. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look at verse number, uh, look back to verse number two. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Look at verse number five. Let this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus here. And so we see, what is the mind that we're to have as Christians? Those of us who are believers, those of us who have trusted Christ as our personal Savior, what is the mind? The, the Bible gives us the answer here, really from verse 5 to verse 8. We read those verses there. Every Christian should have the mind of Christ. To be of one mind 
is to let the mind of Christ be in you. Can I say that again? To be of one mind is to let the mind of Christ be in you. Why did Christ, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, come from heaven's glory down to earth? Have you ever thought about it? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To think of others rather than ourselves is having the mind of Christ. To think of others rather than ourselves is having the mind of Christ. One writer, John Phillips, said this. To seek one's own advancement is worldly. To seek the prosperity, good, and promotion of others is divine. Jesus Christ came to this earth as a servant. He worked as a carpenter. He could have been born in Caesar's palace, but he came into this world as a working man, a humbled man, a little man, born in a manger. The example of Christ here, of thinking of others, is the example we are to follow. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 for even here too were you called because Christ suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps so this morning I want to give you just a list of things that we learn from the life of Christ on how he was thinking of others what did Jesus Christ do for others I'm going to get you turned to several passages okay so try to stay with me here turn first to John chapter 13 John chapter 13. What did Jesus do for others? John chapter 13, verse 1. We'll read down from verse 1 to verse 5. The first thing we see here in this passage of how Jesus sets the example for others is this. Jesus learned to serve others. Jesus served others. The Bible says in verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come... That he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. Now, look, as we come to this point here, as we consider the hour of Jesus Christ coming, this was the moment that he would go, suffer, bleed, and die for the sins of mankind. And right before that, we have this story. Uh, Let's just jump down here. The Bible says in verse number four, he riseth from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and took a towel and gird himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Can you imagine the story that's taking place? God in flesh. He's coming to die for the sins of mankind. And before he goes to do what he came to do, he laid everything aside. He came over to the disciples here. He got down and started washing their feet. Jesus here sets the example of serving others. Matthew chapter 14 Matthew chapter 14, if you'll go there. The second thought is this, as we consider what did Jesus do for others? Not only did he serve others, but Jesus gave to others. Jesus Christ gave to others. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 15 says, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy them victuals. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give, give ye them to eat. And they said to him, we have but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. We have here one of the most well-known miracles 
that Jesus Christ performed. The only miracle that's uh, recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000s. The disciples said, hey, we have too many people here. We've got to get rid of them. We've got a lot going on. It's almost dark here. Jesus says, no, get them to sit down and I want to give. Perhaps there was a group here following Jesus Christ, not because he was the son of God, because we know in John chapter 6 that many were following, really maybe because to see more miracles. They were following maybe because of the multitude, while there was a, lot, there was a large crowd, so we're like, we're going to follow along. Or maybe they were following thinking, we're going to get a free meal out of this. Jesus Christ did not really care why they were following, but he had the, under, he had the understanding that many of them would not follow him personally as Lord and Savior. But you know what Jesus did anyways? He gave. He gave to them. And I want to remind us this morning that you know why God gives to you? It's not just for you. That's a selfish way to think about it. That's not the Christ mind. God gives to you and God gives to me so that we can give to others. Jesus gave to others. Luke chapter 22, um, verse 31 and 32. Jesus prayed for others. Jesus prayed for others. The Bible says in Luke 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, he's speaking to Peter, strengthen thy brethren. Look, in just a few moments after these verses, Peter would deny Christ. But you know what Jesus did anyways? He prayed for him. Jesus was praying for Peter, and he sets the example for us that we are to pray for one another. We are to bear ye one another's burdens. First Timothy chapter 2 talks about praying for all people that are in authority. We ought to pray for one another. I'm guilty. Maybe it's just me. But many times when I come to prayer, I'm giving God my laundry list. I'm giving God my grocery list. I'm giving God my Christmas wish list. And many times I'm not praying for others. And look, if we're going to be the one who are following the example of Christ, we should be praying for others. John chapter 9, just a few pages there, uh, if you're still with me. John chapter 9, we have here Jesus helping others. He served others. He gave to others. He prayed for others. In John chapter 9, he helped others. Now, in this passage, we have a, a really a difficult case. There was a man that was born blind. John chapter 9 says, And Jesus passed by, verse number 1, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And so we have this story that goes on. You'll have to take time to read the rest of the story here. But in this passage, we have a difficult case. But then we have the disciples debating the difficult case. They were trying to figure out why he was born blind. Was it his parents or was it something they did? You know what? Instead of just sitting around and discussing the need to help others, you know what Jesus did? He sets the example. He spits on the dirt, makes clay, puts it in the man's eye. He tells him to go wash, and he comes seeing for the very first time. Look, if we're not careful, if we're not careful as Christians, we'll sit around and talk about the problems of our culture and our society and our country, and we actually forget to help others that are around us. Jesus here, he helped others. Just a chapter back, Jesus spoke to others. Uh, this is the story in John chapter 8 of a woman who was living an immoral lifestyle. John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. In verse 3, notice the story. 
And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said, And master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law command us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. In verse 8, it says, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, here's what he said. He said unto her, he spoke to this woman, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Jesus says, No man, no man, Lord. And uh, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We have a woman here who's living an immoral lifestyle. No one wanted anything to do with her. They were afraid of her. They wanted to get condemned her. But the Bible says here, Jesus did the complete opposite. He took the time to speak to her. When's the last time, Christian, you took the time to speak to someone that wasn't quite like you? The one that needs the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to this woman. Uh, in Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus forgiving. He forgave others. And this is the story when Jesus was dying on the cross. God in flesh was being humiliated. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was crucified. And while we would always fight back, Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus took the time even to show us the importance of forgiving one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Is there someone here, maybe even in your church? Is there a family member that you should forgive? That you should be willing to forgive? Jesus here forgave others. Luke chapter 10, you won't have to, we won't take time to turn there, but Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. This is when Jesus going or Jesus went to others. Uh, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. I'm glad, though, that the gospel is for all people. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, those that just walked by did not give any consideration, but the Bible says here that Jesus actually went to him. He got off and he went to where this Samaritan was. I'm glad this morning that the gospel is for all people. Red or yellow, black or white, tall or short, skinny or not so skinny, smart or not so smart. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. God, help us not to look at the skin color of someone, but rather help us to look to the Savior and follow his example to go to the laws. And may we be willing to go as well. Let me give you just a couple more here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus said, and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was a leader to others. Are you setting the right example, mom, dad, even student at school? As a Christian, we ought to set the right example. Jesus was a leader to others. Here's the last thing here. Jesus worked with others. Jesus Christ worked with others. The 12 disciples were not all pleasant folks. 
They, they weren't people that you really wanted to hang around with. As a matter of fact, I remember a few weeks ago, my pastor in church on Sunday morning was talking about Matthew, the disciple. He was a tax collector. He was a thief and he was a liar. And you know what Jesus did? He kicked him to the side. No, he worked with him. And he, even though it was a liar and a cheater, the gospel would change his life. And Jesus Christ was willing to work with him. And here we got a great group of people here at Eagle Drive Baptist Church. And many of you are members. I hope that many of you will join hands in hands. Though they may look a little different, though they may not be as talented or whatever their background may be. May you join hands in hands and work together and follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with this as we come to the book of Philippians. If you will do any study... In the book of Philippians, you'll find that the concept of joy or rejoicing is mentioned over and over. I believe actually 17 different times the word joy or rejoice is mentioned in the four chapters you find in the book of of, of Philippians. And I think there's an application for all of us this morning. Part of having joy and part of rejoicing is having the mind of Christ and thinking of others. Do you, as a Christian, do you want true joy and do you really want to rejoice? It's not in wealth and possessions and, and a new job promotion. As a Christian, true joy and true rejoicing comes in having the mind of Christ and thinking of others. The acronym that I learned back in Sunday school when I was a kid, joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then you. Jesus, others, and then you. Just a few weeks back, we had at our church um, a promotion on a Sunday morning called Friend Day. And uh, we had prepared up for that day on a Sunday morning for, I don't know, six weeks or so. And so we had special invites we were passing out. We had a barbecue lunch that morning for the community. We had bounce houses for kiddos. And uh, it was a big deal. And the Saturday right before our Friend Day was kind of our last efforts of getting out into the community on visitation and soul winning and door knocking. And so I was leading a group of our teenagers out, and so we were just passing out a lot of these invites um, to Worth Baptist Church, our friend day. We want to invite you out to community day. I remember that morning, my family was with us as well. I sent Jonathan with one of the men in our church to go door-to-door knocking, uh, soul winning, passing out these invites. And they didn't really get much accomplished, and so we were all looking for them like, Jonathan and Andrew, where are they at? And uh, the next thing I know, we were picking everybody up, and then they were the last two to pick up. I picked up Jonathan and Andrew. And Jonathan got on the bus. Long story short here, you should have just seen the joy on Jonathan's face. Dad, you won't believe this. Brother Andrew and I were just at this house and we had the opportunity to give the gospel to this lady. And she bowed her head and trusted Christ as her savior. The joy You know, the joy that morning in Jonathan's life was not because he got a new bicycle or not because we were getting ready to go to QT. The joy that morning on his face and in his life was because he was thinking of others. Many people are willing to serve others if it does not cost them anything. But if there's a price to pay, we suddenly lose interest. One preacher said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If there's to be any blessing, there must be some bleeding. And I think the idea he was trying to say was, we who are Christians should think of others. 
One writer said this. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and when my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Philippians 1, the philosophy, Jesus first. Philippians 2, pattern for Christian living. Others next. Philippians 1, the philosophy for Christian living. Jesus first. The pattern for Christian living. Others next. Say it with me. Jesus first, others next. One more time. Jesus first, others next. Let's pray together. Appreciate your attention this morning.